Amen. Amen. Wow. What a great time. What a great time. Um, I really felt something broke there. And uh, I I just had a a sense that we are going to see some breakthroughs. We're going to see some breakthroughs that we've been praying for. And, uh, you know, the lion is known as the king of the jungle. And when the lion roars, everybody notices. Everybody pays attention. And I just feel that there's been a bit of a releasing in some areas this morning. Things that you've been pressing into personally, things we've been praying into as a church. I just feel that there was a breaking off of religiosity, especially um, in the nation and in the church this morning, just in doing that. We don't roar very often on a Sunday morning, do we? Um, If you're here for the first time, it's not a frequent thing that we roar here. Um, But I just just feel there was something really significant about that. So I want to encourage you to just go home and say, Lord, what, what did you do? Look for what he's doing and give testimony and encourage one another because he's on the move and we want to be cooperating with his spirit and with what he's doing. So uh, thank you for that, Ben. That was great. My roar didn't sound good, but in my heart, it was good. In my heart, it was good. Okay. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series on Relationships Matter, and my title for today is Am I My Brother's Keeper? And this question comes from Genesis chapter 4 and the story of Cain and Abel. So I thought that would be a good place to start. So if you have a Bible with you or a phone with a Bible app, please turn to Genesis chapter 4 and uh, I'm going to read the story to us. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless warrior on the earth. Sorry, restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. 
I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So there is the story of uh, Cain and Abel, a very short story, but a very well-known one. And um, you see in that question, where is your brother Abel? For me, it's so reminiscent of what is only a chapter before, where God says to Adam, where are you? And God knew where Adam was, and God knew what had happened to Abel, but he asked the question because he wanted to hear the answer. And Adam at least was honest in saying that he was hiding because he was naked and he was afraid. Whereas we see in this story here, Cain straight away just outright lies to the Lord. I don't know, what is it to me? Am I my brother's keeper? Just the pain you must feel in God's heart for these instances. And interestingly, if you look at how this story pays out, the things that Abel is aware of and concerned about, Cain rather, that um, he will be hidden from the Lord just as Adam was hidden. He will be driven from the land just as his father was. That's the story of Cain and Abel. So this question, am I my brother's keeper, is the one that's going to concern us today. And um, you know, the overall summary I could say is that relationships matter to God. How we treat one another matters to God. And at the very beginning, we see the Ten Commandments, the bedrock of God's laws. On the one hand side, these are all laws that pertain to God and our relationship with God. And then on the other side, the ones that are about our relationships with one another because they matter to God. They're in the very heart of how we are created, which is a huge challenge in today's very individualistic society. And um, in doing a bit of research on this, I came across a number of really interesting pieces of work from different theologians commenting on this. And I wanted to read a couple of them to you. Um, The first one is from Charles Spurgeon, And uh, there's some great stuff that he writes on this whole subject, am I my brother's keeper? And he says, on the one hand, no, and on the other hand, yes. That's that's it in a summary, but there's a lot more words to that. Um, So I'm going to read some of this to you. This is what Spurgeon says. First, every man and woman must bear their own responsibility for their own acts before Almighty God. It is not possible for a man or woman to shift from their own shoulders to those of another their obligations to the Most High. Obedience to the law of God must be personally rendered or a person becomes guilty. No matter how holy their father was or how righteous their mother was, they themselves will each stand on their own feet and answer for themselves before the judgment seat of God. Each person who hears the gospel is responsible for understanding it. No one else can believe the gospel for them. 
or repent for them, or be born again for them, or become a Christian for them. They must personally repent of sin, personally believe in Jesus, personally be converted, and personally live to the service and glory of God. Amen? Amen. Nobody can do it for us, and we can't do it for somebody else. We cannot blame other people for our own choices and our own acts. At the end of the day, each one of us has to give an account before God. Each one of us. However, Spurgeon says that's not the only aspect to it. He says, yet again, without looking to other men's souls... We cannot keep the first two of the great commands in which our Lord God has summarized the moral law. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But we cannot possibly do this unless we have a love towards our brother's soul. For rightly does the apostle ask, if a man does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? It is all very good to stand up and sing about your love to God and let the missionary offering plate go by while your eyes are glazing into heaven. But if you do not care for the heathen souls, how can you truly get care for God? It is all very pretty to be enamored with Christ and to have a sweet experience, or to think you have, and yet poor, miserable unbelievers all around us are dying without the knowledge of the Saviour, and you can let them die and let them sink into hell without emotion. May God save us from such holiness. It is very pretty to look at, like the gold-colored paint on wooden trim, but there is no gold in it at all. A loveless religion is good for nothing. He who does not love his fellow man enough to desire their salvation and aim at it with all his might gives no proof that he loves God at all. Think of these things and weigh my arguments with candor. Well, there we go. I read that to James earlier on in the week and he said to me, you could just stop there, Andrea. You don't really need to say any more than that. Wow, if we can't love our brothers, how can we say we're loving God? What a challenge, what a challenge. And moving us on, um, Oswald Chambers, he also has written on this. This is from my utmost for his highest. I know many people use this as a devotional. And he takes a slightly different approach. He says, has it ever dawned on you that you are responsible spiritually to God for other people? For instance, if I allow any turning away from God in my private life, everyone around me suffers. We sit together in heavenly places. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If you allow physical selfishness, mental carelessness, moral insensitivity, or spiritual weakness, everyone in contact with you will suffer. But you ask, who is sufficient to be able to live up to such a lofty standard? Our sufficiency is from God and God alone. Hallelujah. Oh, those are the heavyweights this morning. Wow, what challenging words. 
What challenging words. So this is a huge subject, actually. There's a lot you could cover within this from my own life and my own walk because we are in a body and how I behave affects everybody else. My sin affects everybody else. If I'm living with unrepented sin in my life, it affects you. It has to because we're a body. We're seated together in heavenly places. But on another, to the other end of the scale, we have Spurgeon that talks about our responsibility for the world to share the good news of Jesus. So there's huge extremes to this subject, but this morning I'm kind of going to anchor it within us here and our relationships here and how we encourage, love, and support one another. And uh, I started um, a couple of weeks ago just jotting down some thoughts, and uh, I wrote in my notebook, look up the one another verses. And I, the following day was at a Caleb session, the guys are here, and there on their notes in, in the passage we were looking at that day was some one another verses. So that was a, a good confirmation to me, because these are a really good place to start to look at our relationships with one another. And uh, we're so blessed, aren't we, with the tools we have available to us these days. Bible Gateway is great. I'm sure we all love Bible Gateway. If you put one another and search in the New Testament, and I concentrated mainly on Paul's kind of smaller epistles and pastoral letters, you get some great comments. So I'm just going to very quickly um, go through some of these. This is how we are to love one another, care for one another. Look at some of these. Serve one another humbly in love. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Let the message of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another daily. It's there. That's what we need to do. Let us consider how may we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. There's so much in this. Not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another in that. Keep on loving one another. And it's interesting when you get to James, you get a feel for a different character because all the others are do this, do this, do this. You get to James and you get don't do this, don't do this. So something about his character. Do not slander one another. And here's a challenging one. Do not grumble against one another or you will be judged. Hands up, who's never grumbled about someone else? Yeah, thought not. (laughs) Notice my hand didn't go up either. It's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging. And then we go on to John. Oh no, Peter first. Peter, love one another deeply from the heart. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And then John, we should love one another. Love one another. Dear friends, let us love one another. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
And again, if we love one another, God lives in us. And second of John's letters, Dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we amen amen john is all about the love he is all about the love it's all about loving one another that's the heart that you get from john that beating heart of god's love that he knowed and experienced he called himself the disciple that jesus loved because that overwhelming god, love of god was so within him and he sees how important that we love one another in that but you know what does that love look like what does it look like to love one another? This is from Romans. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love one another. And he goes through the commandments that I put up earlier on and says that they're summed up as Spurgeon refers to, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We must love one another. But loving one another is a challenging thing. And it's easy to say it kind of very easily. I was looking at the passage from uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the famous passage on love. And it's so well known to us that it's easy to just kind of read it glibly in a way. It's read at weddings. It's a very familiar thing. But actually, if you look at what these mean, they are hugely challenging in terms of our relationships with one another. You know, standing up and saying, I am patient, I am kind, I am envious, I'm not boastful. Wow, which of us would truly do that? And yet this is the call because that's the love of God that's within us. That's who he is. And we are here with his love within us. And you know, these, all these statements here, so countercultural these days, especially love is not self-seeking. We live in such a society where it's all about me, all about making me happy. I am um, on Friday. I was working from home in the morning and um, uh, stopped to have some lunch. And I put the TV on to watch the news while I was having my lunch. Um, but there wasn't any news on BBC One because there was football. It's never-ending football now, isn't it? Glad I'm going away next week. Um, <laughs> I don't mind football to a point, but I certainly didn't want to watch Egypt playing Uruguay or whoever it was. So, um, so I thought, oh, I don't want to watch this. So I kind of did a bit of a channel hop and uh, ended up on Loose Women. So that shows you how bad it was. If you end up on loose women, clearly it's, it's a bad day. So, uh, but it caught my eye because they, they obviously have phone-in polling vote things on loose women. I can't say I've ever watched it. Um, and at the bottom, they had this question. Should you put your own happiness above that of your family? That was the question. And they were having a bit of a discussion on the panel on there. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. And then the figures came up. 63% of the people that phoned in said, yes, you should put your own happiness above that of your family. 
And I thought, well, there we are. There is a reflection of the world in which we live in. It wasn't even put your own happiness above others. It was your family. And the people that were phoning in, voting, were overwhelmingly saying, yes, I'm going to put me first. And isn't that just such a sad reflection on where we are now? That's what it's like. That's what it's like. But in Jesus, we see the total opposite of that. Jesus, the very embodiment of love, the very person of love, who gave his life as a sacrifice for us. To look at love, we look at Jesus. And to understand love, if we want to know what love is, that's where we need to go first and foremost, is to Jesus and to look at the cross. But you know, as we look at Jesus, as we look at the things he said and taught and did, there are still some challenges in the things that Jesus said. Some of these things that we read that he said to the Pharisees, to the crowd, to Peter, to the disciples, these are challenging things, aren't they? Wow. And you know, these aren't Jesus on and off day. Jesus didn't have bad days. Jesus didn't wake up grumpy. Jesus didn't have days where he wasn't loving because he was love. Jesus couldn't not love because he was love. So even in these things, he's, there's love. There's love. But in love, sometimes there needs to be challenge. There needs to be challenge. Jesus had such a way of cutting to the heart and exposing people's motivation And that's a challenging thing. That's a challenging thing. But in love, sometimes we need to to challenge one another in a right way with some of those ouch things that are in our hearts and that are in our attitudes. You know, the Bible is full of teaching on how we should live and, and what we should do. And, you know, we are so blessed that we have elders here who are commissioned to shepherd us And you know, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them as they watch over us because so much stuff is coming into the world and into the church. We need to be wise in how we live and bless them for the care and the prayer for us that I know they do because we need people to watch out for us. We need people to look out for us, and we need also to do that for one another. We need to pray for our elders as deception comes in, as things of the world try and seep into the church. As Ben said this morning, Jesus is coming back for his bride, his pure, spotless bride. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one of those 10 virgins who's there without the oil in her lamp. I want to be ready. I want to be watchful. And thank you for those who watch over us and guard over us. But you know, we also need to do that for each other. But the challenge can be we do have different opinions at times. You know, I mentioned from Romans 13 earlier, that whole passage about love being the fulfillment of the law then goes on to talk about some challenging matters that they were dealing with as a church where they had differences of opinion. Um, the Jews and the Gentiles coming together, who should eat meat, not eating this, celebrating certain days, and uh, debatable matters they're referred to as. But in, in the wrestling in these things, Paul is saying it's so important that we don't judge, but we have an attitude of love. 
even as we deal with these things, because people do and can have different perspectives at times. You know, my perspective on certain things because of my history isn't always the same as yours. We can have different perspectives, and it's important that whatever we look at, whatever we consider, whatever we challenge on, we do it with an attitude of love. It comes from a place of love. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We need to have a right heart and attitude when we're challenging one another maybe over things. I, um, I remember once, I, uh, many, many years ago, I had a phone call very late at night. It was about half past 11. I'd already gone to bed. I was already asleep, and I was woken up by the phone. And uh, I uh, came downstairs to answer it all bleary-eyed. And at that time, you're always thinking, oh, no, what's happened? What's happened? Because um, it's not a normal time to ring. And uh, it was a friend on the phone, and uh, nobody in this church, I hasten to add, before I share this story. And uh, they said, oh, did I wake you up? Yes. <laughs> if They really should have stopped there. However, they said to me, well, I'm ringing you because I'm really angry with you. And uh, I, I just had to tell you, I'm really angry with you about da, 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 whatever it was. And it says to not let the sun go down on your anger. So I thought I'm going to ring you now and tell you that I'm really annoyed about this. To which I said, it's really late. You've woken me up. I'm not dealing this with now. Now, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Goodbye. And put the phone down. And that was that. <laughs> and maybe I'd done something wrong. Maybe I'd upset them. I can't remember what it was. But it didn't really, if I'm honest, come out of an attitude of love. An attitude of love isn't let's ring the person at half past 11 at night because I can justify it by scripture by saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's not the way to deal with it. That's not the way to deal with it. We have to have that right attitude if we want to give these challenges, deal and wrestle with these things with one another. But it's so easy, isn't it, when we've got something that's weighing us down sometimes to, uh, to do that. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If I upset you, please don't ring me at 11.30 at night. But you know... Sometimes there can still be a speck that needs dealing with. And a speck can change your view and your perspective. Something in your eye can skew your perspective. And I know if I've got stuff in my life that isn't right or isn't good, I, I want to be challenged on those things. I, I want somebody to, to, in love, help me sort these things out. Because I want to live a life that honors and pleases God. 
Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Who are the people who you can trust to tell you the hard things? Who are those people? Because it's so much easier to take those things from people who you know love you, care for you. It's so much easier, isn't it? But that requires us to be in relationship with one another. That requires us to commit to one another, to look out for one another. Who are those people you're doing that with? Where are you in your friendships and your relationships, in home groups, in prayer groups, within the church? Where are those relationships? Because we need them. We need one another to help us with these things. Oh, I'm going to leave that one, I think, looking at time. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I understand that Ben looked at this scripture on Wednesday at Love, Acceptance and Healing and was prowling around the room. Um, I'm not going to do that. Kind of loses its effect if it's me, really, doesn't it? Looks more like a cat, probably. Um, (laughs) We have an enemy prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And uh, if you've ever watched any kind of David Attenborough nature programs, I'm sure you have. There was one on um, last year or so called Prey, which was a terrifying one, to be honest, um, looking at the animal kingdom. But if you watch how a lion hunts, a lion never charges into a whole group of animals together, be that zebra or impala, whatever it is. A lion doesn't do that. How does a lion hunt? He looks for the ones who have wandered off. He goes for the ones who are not with everybody else, the ones who are away, the ones who are distracted, the ones who are not with everybody else. Those are the ones who are most vulnerable, the ones who aren't with the group. That's how a lion hunts. He doesn't charge into the middle. He looks at who he can pick off from around the edge. Wow. There's a lesson from us from nature, I think. We need one another. We need to be in relationship with one another because each one of us has a call on our lives to live for his praise and glory, to be those people whose lives influence one another, to be those people who are sharing the gospel to a world that don't know it, to a world that thinks, I just need to look after myself. We have to live differently and we can't and shouldn't do that on our own because we're part of a body. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. And we need that. We need to be each other's keeper. So my time is gone. And um, we, as you know, with this series, have been giving each other questions to think about and look at. And these are my questions, really. Um, I also would say do go and research these one another scriptures that you see. But who do you allow to speak into your life? Do you have any no-go areas and why? I think sometimes in our Britishness, there are things that we don't discuss. 
It's interesting, the passage I skipped over was to do with money, and that's not something that we're very comfortable often talking about with ourselves. But if you download my notes, have a look at the passage that I put up from Luke 12, I think it was. When was the last time I encouraged somebody? So many things from Scripture saying encourage, encourage, encourage. But also, when was the last time we challenged somebody? Who do I grumble about? What does love look like? What does love look like? How do we live a life of love here? How do we live the life of love that Jesus has taught us? Wow. I know I've covered a lot this morning and gone through it very quickly. But I want to encourage you to think about your relationships, to think about the people that you're connecting with. And if you're feeling that you're on the edge, if you're vulnerable, then What can you do to change that? Are you going to home group? Are you in a prayer group? Who are you looking out for? And who's looking out for you? It's good to ask those questions. So let's pray, shall we?